Hi, this is Jessica Cook and welcome to my Feel Good Podcast for Women. This show is entirely devoted to helping motivate and inspire you to live a healthy and a happy life. I believe you will be happiest and most fulfilled when you work out, eat well, enjoy a brilliant, healthy routine and live your life with passion. I want you to feel energetic and healthy and that's my goal with this podcast, to keep you motivated and inspired so you can live your best life. You'll also hear interviews from my clients who are some of the most inspirational women I have ever met. At the end of the episode, be sure to head over to inspirefitnesstraining.ie forward slash free tools to instantly download tons of free stuff like recipe books, meal plans, workouts and much more. Now let's get on with the show. Great. Good morning, Dr. Mary. It is great to have you on our podcast. Welcome to our podcast today. Guys, our very special guest is Dr. Mary McCaffrey from the Scotia Clinic, who's going to talk to us about the really important topics of perimenopause, menopause, polycystic ovary syndrome, and other female-related stuff that is so super important to us all. Um, So before we get stuck in, uh, Mary, I have so many questions for you, but could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your clinic, the Scotia Clinic? Okay, well, I'm based in Kerry and I'm an obstetrician gynecologist. I've been practicing gynecology since 1987. Um, Oh my God, I don't know what happened there. Sorry. I've been practicing since 1987. So I suppose my area of interest for a long number of years was fertility and still is. And when I came back from, I came back from the UK in 94 and menopause kind of died a death from a clinical perspective here because there was a big scandal about HRT and being a cause of breast cancer. So there was very little talked about menopause, but in the last couple of years, there is a lot more information out there and people are way more interested. So in the last 12 months, I've been doing a lot more work on menopause. So I do mainly, I suppose the hormonally related gynecology might be the way to describe it. That's deadly. That's great. So my first question for you, could we get started off with the perimenopause? Could you just describe like what it is and then tell us like, how do you know when you think you're, you're going through it and what are the symptoms? Okay, well, I'll just take it forward a step and then back a step. The word menopause by definition means that the day you have your last period or when you have your last period. So menopause means men- menstruation has stopped. So in the last couple of years, the word perimenopause has become used away more. And that's because we're aware that there's a lead into the menopause for a lot of women where they're still having periods, but their periods either might be becoming more irregular, but they just don't feel right. And they start to get some menopausal symptoms. They might be quite scattered. They might be quite irregular. They might, some women would find that it's kind of in the week before their period, they might be worse. And in the week, in the run into their, uh, the week of their period, and that's because your estrogen levels are at your lowest at that point in the cycle. So you would find that maybe for two or three years before menopause, that women may experience a lot of symptoms. And the average age of menopause in this country would be 52, but wow. more and more we are seeing women coming forward, say from 45, 46 on, that have some symptoms of perimenopause. So that's when we say perimenopause, it's that run into menopause. Okay. Okay. And then, do you want to talk a little bit about what are these? Hi, still my menopause nurse just walked into the room. Um, do you want to talk about the kind of symptoms we would talk about? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we all know we all 
know the classic menopause symptoms that um, we know hot flushes and sweats and sometimes because people have night sweats they probably don't sleep as well and their sleep is very broken that can lead on then to exhaustion and tiredness the following day and lack of energy and another big one that people talk a lot about is um, difficulty concentrating and it's become a really big thing now because when you think of it the majority of women even if you take perimenopause, say 46, 48, they're going to be at least 20 years in the workforce with this, many of them in very, very high power jobs, trying to lead a team, trying to manage, trying to do their jobs. So going into work the following morning, being very exhausted can be quite difficult. And then the inability to concentrate. And the other thing people um, talk a little bit about is the memory issue. Um, and a lot of your people who are listening here today are actually much younger, they might have got to that stage yet. But you know, women might go to the supermarket or go into another room and go, what did I come here for? Where did I leave my car keys? Where did I park? That kind of memory issue and lack of ability to kind of focus on things. And then another symptom that people often um, talk about is palpitations. And that may be just palpitations because their heart is racing wow. and, or it might be anxiety. And I would definitely say in the last three to four months, we are seeing a lot more women presenting with anxiety as their predominant sy symptom. And it's very hard to tease that out because you don't know, is it anxiety because they're worried about being menopausal, worried about being not able to do their job? And it's also the time as well in people's lives when their kids are maybe leaving search, going to college, husbands maybe that bit older. And, you know, it's, it's a difficult time for women. So there are a lot of different symptoms. So they're the symptoms people know about. But silently going on in the background are the effects on your body where um, in the menopausal phase and perimenopausal phase, you lose muscle. You lose muscle mass, you lose bone mass. We know that cognitive function is a little bit less. So in some people where there might be history to mention their family, that might be something that could maybe start to develop, but not always. And obviously cardiovascular risk, risks of high blood pressure, diabetes, etc. So a lot of the things that women um, don't know they have because they're only focusing on hot flushes and sweats, we as doctors are thinking about and looking at how we can either prevent or reverse. That's so, so interesting. Do, is there anything you can do when you're in that perimenopause phase? Like what are the best things to do for yourself? Should you go to a doctor or is it just something that you kind of put up with before you go into well, perimenopause? I suppose, I suppose for anyone who's watched the Joe or listened to the Joe Duffy show and I didn't, but I just know from, you know, the patients who were involved in listening to it. And we saw a huge wave of people coming forward just to come and talk to us and see what they could do. I don't think anyone should have to suffer with menopausal symptoms because most of the time there will be some management strategy out there to help people. So, you know, uh, the biggest dilemma is that in the perimenopause phase, very often um, your blood work will be normal because there is there's blood we look at to diagnose menopause and people may have low estrogen, they may have a high level of a hormone called FSH, but in the perimenopause, that doesn't always manifest. So people may kind of quite a lot of symptoms, but have normal blood results because it might be just normal the day their GP does it. And then doctors might say, you're not menopausal, your bloods are normal. 
and people keep suffering on. So we would have a very liberal view of managing people based on their symptoms. And obviously, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, would be the cornerstone of getting rid of symptoms, not suitable for everybody. Not everybody wants to take it. People are worried about it. But we would do other things too. We would look at lifestyle strategies. We know that vitamin D is very, very important for bones and for muscle. And we know that most Irish people have low vitamin D levels because we don't get the sun exposure. Vitamin D is very much the sun vitamin. And we think of vitamin D for bones, but vitamin D also is really good for exhaustion and for sleep and for energy levels. And we know that most people who are going to be on vitamin D should be on vitamin D3, 1500 international units a day. They're very simple tablets that you can buy over the counter in a health food shop or in a chemist shop. Vitamin D3, Sona, Sona do it, Solgar do a brand. Um, for people who have a medical card, there is a, a um, when you can get on prescription. It's quite expensive, which I don't prescribe it unless someone's a medical card. And then we would talk a lot about the fish oils, the omega-3, 6 and 9, very, very good for brain function and memory. And I think everybody should be on them as well. And at the end of the talk, when um, Jessica is putting up the podcast, there's a few very good websites that I, I'll give her the links to put up as well, that people can go and do a little bit of research themselves. Um, and then when we look at lifestyle and we've looked at diet and looked at healthiness and what people are eating. We know as well, for example, that being on low GI foods and a, and a, a fairly um, healthy car low GI carb diet is very helpful for menopause symptoms as well. We well, know that. So sorry, sorry, Jessica. Uh, sorry, that, but I said that's so, so interesting. Uh, why is that? Why specifically a, a lower GI diet for menopausal symptoms? That's well, We don't really know, but probably because people who will go on a low GI diet will cut out the unprocessed foods. Yeah. And they're cutting out a lot of the crap that we all eat. Yeah. So that's probably why. Um, for the night sweats, because, you know, from time to time, I do get patients who, for whatever reason, won't go on HRT, can't go on HRT. So we tend to then look at everything else that we can do for them. Keeping your bedroom at an ambient temperature of 17 degrees is cool. Bamboo sheets you know, what you wear. I mean, I would come across women who maybe bring two changes of clothes to work because they're so afraid that they'll be soaked and sweat at work all day. So layering, looking at strategies for women, we would look at all of that. So can I ask you, when do you think is the best time for a woman to present themselves at a doctor's? Is it when she's feeling bad? Is it when she has her had her, she's definitely finished her menstrual cycle? Like, what do you think? Well, if she's finished her menstrual cycle, um, she's menopausal yeah most, most of the time unless it's some other med underlying medical condition that can cause problems with um with menstrual cycles but it's it's when someone feels that they need help that they're you know they don't feel well they don't feel right they think they might have menopause and we can work with them they might need any intervention at that moment in time but maybe um you know, they can be getting ready for down the road. But I think it's always very good, you know, with this little slide I put up in the days when we used to do meetings called look at your genes. People's genes do follow them. And if you have a mother who has an early had an early menopause, possibly uh, for no good reason, you might be more likely to have an early menopause if you have a sister older than you that had one. If you had a medical intervention, so say, for example, 
a lot of the patients that get neglected are maybe people who did IVF and did egg donor IVF because they weren't producing eggs in their 30s. They're more likely probably to have an earlier menopause. And some people have a silent earlier menopause, like those kind of patients. Yeah. So their bones or whatever may be affected without even knowing it. And people who have a history, say, of rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disease, they again are someone that probably should be you know, getting a health check and you might be told everything is perfect. So if you are menopausal, um, what, what are your options? You mentioned HRT there. Um, that's become much more popular now, hasn't it? It's become, yeah, more acceptable to people as a treatment. So basically when you take HRT, you're taking estrogen to replace the estrogen that your body is not producing. And, we, and it's the lack of estrogen that causes most menopause symptoms hot flushes, the sweats, the effect on memory, the um, loss of, for example, we lose, we lose 30 to 50% of our collagen in the immediate menopausal phase. So we would know that women who do take estrogen replacement therapy will actually manage to maintain bone, will maintain muscle in conjunction with exercise and all the other things they do. If you're taking estrogen for HRT, then you, unless you've had a hysterectomy, which nowadays most women won't have had, you actually need something called progestogen with it. And the progestogen affects, it protects the lining of the womb from womb cancer, from estrogen. So if you take estrogen on its own, in theory, it can, um, over a long period of time, cause womb cancer. So you take progestogen with it. So most people in this day and age who are on HRT are on estrogen and progestogen. And how we provide that for them, it can be a tablet, it can be a patch. A lot of my patients might, might have an estrogen patch, might have a marina coil in that has progestogen in it. That we might give the progestogen that way. So there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I suppose by and large, we're trying to encourage people to use patches because you absorb the estrogen through your skin, doesn't affect your liver so much, your cholesterol, your blood pressure. So it's a more body identical way of doing it. That's really interesting. Um, and thanks so much for, for all of that. Um, as well, like in your experience, like if you had to list the top three to six things that a menopausal woman can do for herself, and you mentioned vitamin D, um, uh, a lower GI diet, not having that starchy unhealthy food um, yeah. what else if you had to kind of go one two three four five okay well a big thing for me i think and looking at the age group that you have on screen and will be getting on screen uh, i'm a great believer in future proofing and i think during covid a lot more people have been online and doing podcasts and i think people have come to that point as well and i think for the people who are in their 40s Future-proofing is a big part of it. I've said you can lose a significant amount of muscle mass immediately at the menopause. So in the lead into those years, keeping yourself fit, keeping yourself healthy, having a normal weight, BMI is really important as well. So keeping your muscle built up, keeping your pelvic floor muscles as well. Because if you're going to lose collagen and muscle in your thighs and your arms and everywhere else you're equally losing it in your pelvic floor which is why um, over a period of time that um, prolapse and laxity of the pelvic floor will present so doing your exercise 
maintaining your bones. We have peak bone mass in our mid-20s. And from there on in, gradually people can lose bone mass. And we see an awful lot more women now with what we call osteopenia, which is thinning of the bones, which is like pre-osteoporosis. And it's about preventing osteoporosis as well. So diet, exercise, healthiness. And um, I suppose we've said vitamin D, omega-3s, um, and then HRT, I would never have survived my menopausal years without it, wouldn't have been able to go to work, wouldn't have been able to do my job. I met someone recently um, who had a managerial post and she had to hand in her notice when she was 54 because she actually just couldn't do her job. And she never thought that HRT was an alternative. She never knew that there was anything she could do for herself. And that's, I think, the key message that people need to see what they can do yeah. Because HRT isn't for everybody, but there are a lot of other medications we can use yeah. instead of it. When you're postmenopausal, do you have to wean yourself off HRT or what's the story there? Well, when we start someone on HRT um, under 52, we usually say that, you know, we reappraise it after 10 years of being on it. We re certainly reappraise it at five and definitely at 10 years. And the 10 year cutoff is that the risk of breast cancer with HRT is minimal, but at around the 10 year mark, you would be really saying, does this person really need to still be on it? And we would maybe gradually cut down the dose. So there's lots of formulations where we would just gradually cut down the dose and see how people do. But look, I have women in their 70s who tried that. It doesn't work. And you've got to balance quality of life versus risk. Therefore, they monitor themselves more for breast cancer or cardiovascular disease. The one thing just to be aware of as well is that the research shows that if you're going to start HRT, starting it after 60 for the first time after 60 increases your risk of cardiovascular disease and you know risks of heart attack or whatever. So Unfortunately, there's a large group of women out there who never had that information when they were 52. We're coming to us now at 58, 59, 60, and we have to think long and hard about what we're going to do for them. But we do, and we look and we see what are the strategies. You can pick your symptoms. I didn't mention vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness is a symptom that can be very bothersome for women. And in the old days, we were told it was when I was a medical student, it was the last symptom you'd see when women were in their 70s. But more and more women now are coming forward in their 50s saying, I have vaginal dryness because I suppose people are sexually active, they're more, more vocal about things. So we can, for example, for them, maybe replace vaginal estrogen without giving them tablets, patches. So we might be able to manage specific symptoms. Yeah, great. And can I ask then, I, I want to then after this question, just really quickly talk about uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, because I, I know people then are also want to ask questions, um, most likely about the menopause, but just in terms of mood, um, the best things you can do for your mood when you're menopausal, exercise, fresh air, um, is there anything else that I am missing? Exercise, fresh air, mindfulness. Yeah. And there is now a whole movement towards us getting women for whom moods and emotional symptoms are a big part of it. There's a huge move towards using things like cognitive behavioral therapy and a lot of menopause nurses and 
doctors are being trained in cognitive behavioral therapy specifically to deal with emotional symptoms. And what CBT does is it trains you to deal with the things as they arise in that time. So it gives you strategies, sort of emotional strategies to deal with things. I must say what's interesting now, we've started using a specific body identical form of progesterone recently called eutrogestin. And a lot of women have said to me, they can actually find their calmer in those weeks that they're on that part of their of their HRT cycle. So that's actually really interesting that maybe certain progesterones and certain HRTs help mood better. And um, what was I was going to say something else about mood, 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 mood. Yeah, no, I think the mindfulness, as you say, de-stressing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I just want to ask you before I open it up to questions, just on PCOS. Um, what is it and what are the symptoms? Okay, well, um, I'm delighted you asked that because September is PCOS Awareness Month. Um, PCOS is a, a syn polycystic ovarian syndrome and it's a metabolic hormonal imbalance that people are pretty much born with. And it is diagnosed with a cluster of symptoms that include having irregular periods, having a hormone imbalance that is more skewed towards male hormones. We all have male and female hormones in our bloodstream. Um, and some women with polycystic ovarian syndrome have more male hormones in their bloodstream. So they will often have symptoms like facial hair, acne, thinning of their head hair. And these are symptoms that actually can often occur in menopause as well. Um, so they might have difficulty conceiving, they might struggle with weight management because part of polycystic ovarian syndrome is to have an insulin resistance. So people with polycystic ovarian syndrome can often not metabolize carbohydrates like other people who haven't it. And their body keeps producing insulin to try and break down the carbohydrates. It doesn't do that and it stores it as fat. And the knock-on effect of all the insulin then is it produces an excess of male hormones. And if you were to draw a line, I'm presuming a lot of your clients might be on the Western seaboard. If we draw a line through Ireland around Athlone, there's a much higher instance of polycystic ovarian syndrome on the Western seaboard. And it's, it's quite linked to gestational diabetes and type 2 diabetes as well. So we would see way more gestational diabetes in Kerry and Galway compared to Dublin. Um, it's probably, I always blame Cromwell, that's my little, <laughs> that people maybe, I don't know, maybe over generations, they changed, their, their metabolism changed from having quite a high carbohydrate diet because we lived on bread and, and potatoes in poorer wow. areas. Um, and we now know it's genetic as well. So it's, it's, if someone has polycystic ovarian syndrome, they're very likely to have a parent, maybe who's type 2 diabetes. Even the boys in the family might have metabolic syndrome with cholesterol issues. Um, and it's very manageable. It's a real, it's, if I was to take a medical condition that's lifestyle managed, it is polycystic ovarian syndrome. So when we see young girls, I had a 14 year old last week diagnosed at that stage in her life, if we can get her to make lifestyle changes to eat healthier, low carb, exercise, and because their metabolism is quite skewed as well, they really struggle to lose weight. And the knock on for those young girls as well is that they, they present more predominantly with eating disorders because they're constantly yo-yo dieting, trying to get weight down, a lot more emotional problems and present a lot more in child psychiatry clinics. 
Um, so it, it's a condition that if people are aware of it, I did a podcast for the skin nerd the other night. And I don't know if you shared that, Jessica, or if it's worth sharing. But yeah. it, there's a lot of really good information out this month on PCOS. And we know that one in 10 women have it. And we know that up to 70% of people have it and it's undiagnosed because just the medical profession aren't very aware of it. I, yeah. I suppose I see it more and more because it, the fertility side of it presents to me. And during COVID, you would have seen young girls, they were facial hair, couldn't get to go to waxing, couldn't get to laser, and became really stressful for them. And then you realize, yes, this is a really big thing. Oh, that's really and, Yeah. Um, so if anyone has any of those symptoms, they should just go to the doctor. Yeah, or yeah. do the research. There's so much information out there at the moment this month on it. Yeah, okay. Okay, so are you happy, Mary, if I open it up to questions? Oh, I don't know. I think what we should do first, Jessica, is you should talk about what I said about exercise and, and teach me and maybe other people as to what, as we get older in life, we need to do about the way we exercise. Well, resistance training, strength training is super important. Weight yeah. training exercises, aerobic exercise, interval training, core work, uh, which I talk about probably too much. Um, See, my, my clients haven't heard it yet. I have to share your podcast now. So, yeah, strength training is really, really important to build lean muscle, to have strong bones. Um, and I read there recently that women are four times more likely to have osteoporosis than men mm. because of our yeah. hormonal changes. Um, yeah. So from an exercise point of view, the best thing you can do for yourself is to lift weights. Absolutely. And we were talking before I came up here, I was um, down in the labor ward because I'm on call for the weekend. And I was telling the midwives that I was doing this soon when we started talking and why women don't exercise in the way they probably should. And most of the midwives felt that most women are scared of weights because yeah. they're afraid they'll build too much muscle yeah and we had that conversation yeah that's so true I mean even my yeah. mom I actually remember my mom going to the gym for a while when I was younger and she actually stopped because she thought her thighs were getting bigger I mean it's just crazy like there's so many people still out there that think that they're going to get bulky yeah it's impossible because we don't have enough as women testosterone in our yeah. bodies to bulk us up it's impossible so all you do is get leaner and build lovely lean muscle on your body, which from the yeah. age of 30 starts decreasing. Um, and then when you get to 70, if you don't do any strength exercises, 50 to 55% of your muscle mass is gone. Um, yeah, yeah. So I love the fact that you, I mean, how often do you hear that you can reverse something as you get older, but you can actually reverse that just by doing strength training twice a week. And you mentioned collagen, you can actually improve the elasticity of your skin by doing strength training um so that helps with uh the, the, the knock-on effect of having less collagen as you get older as well so it's just a win-win yeah and i suppose as well people don't realize and I, when i'm trying to explain this to the younger people who need to lose weight or the girls with pcos who need to lose weight that the more muscle you have and the bigger muscles obviously are your thigh muscles and your yeah. glutes and your back muscles the more your metabolism will speed up because your muscle will burn calories totally um your muscles when you do strength training and you've lost the lean muscle on your body you're almost burning double the amount of calories at rest compared to a person that does um no weight training at all and i'm really glad you said the biggest muscle group is thighs and glutes because now 
everybody will know why I work the lower body so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so, so, so true. You just make life so much easier on yourself. And I know it can be really difficult for women as we get older and we start uh, gaining weight. It can be really frustrating because you, you don't even have to be changing your food habits and necessarily start getting bad food habits, but you're starting to gain weight and you can have this horrible out of control feeling. And um, having a high, higher metabolism and doing the best you can that way, yeah. I think it's really important to help people know that they've a bit more control than they think they do. Um, yeah. And I suppose the, the building muscle as well, that as your muscle is regenerating from, because how you're building the muscle is when you're doing your exercises and muscle is repairing itself, it's putting pressure on your bones and it's building bone as well. So the strength training is important for bones. And I think the most important message that, you know, if anyone was to take away, they don't have menopause symptoms, they'll never need HRT. Your bones are so, so important for you because your average age in menopause is 52. Most women who are watching this today will probably live to at least 92. So you're going to spend 40 years of your life post-menopause so those bones need to be, you know, looking after you. So the days when we remember our grannies going around with little dowagers, humps and all hunched up and everything, that's osteoporosis. And yeah. we know that as healthcare professionals, that a woman who gets a hip fracture, 60% will never go back to full independent living. So minding your bones is really important. So you asked me earlier, and I didn't mention having a DEXA scan. If you've, and there's, there's little apps where you can assess your risk of osteoporosis as well. There's an app called FRAX, F-R-A-X, and you can download it from your app um, on your phone, and you can do assessments of your risk of osteoporosis. But the big risks would be a family history, a mother with it, um, having been on steroids for a long time in your life and rheumatoid arthritis or any of those autoimmune diseases are a big risk factor that to, to get your DEXA scan done I always think it's really nice I know in England they say you don't need to be doing DEXA scans on everybody but it kind of benchmarks you and I love coming out and having my dick my mother's 97 she's still got normal bones because it's a lot of it is genetic it always comes back to genes so you know where you're at. But I have seen people with osteopenia and early osteoporosis that they have reversed with lifestyle and maybe HRT. But even outside of that, there are a lot of new medications out there to build backbone. There are drugs like daily injections, Forsteo is one that you take for two years to build bone up again. And then you can swap onto something else that stops the bone from breaking down again. So there are a lot of strategies out there because osteoporosis is a horrendous disease. Yeah, yeah, sounds horrible. But it's great to know that you can do, do all that stuff that you just mentioned. And thanks for that uh, tip with the app. That's brilliant. Yeah, the app is great. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so questions, anything we forgot to mention? anybody have any questions um and if you do just unmute yourself there and uh start talking barbara i am um, the one thing i notice and definitely is i'm now 45 but i definitely um get more belly fat and that seems to be very common with women when they start yeah. uh, for hormone changes or you just can't shift weight the way you would have done you know a few years ago and it'd be easy yeah. to two pounds you just can't seem to shift it and Definitely for me, my belly and sometimes around my boobs. I'm like, where do these arrive from? You know, it definitely 
I'm noticing that pattern is getting harder to shift weight. And it is, and everyone will say that you have to work so much harder at it. Um, I mean, I'm only just talking from personal experience and other people's experience, and Jessica can either tell me I'm totally wrong or otherwise. It really does come back to, to changing the, the um, proportion of carbs to protein in your diet. And I, I must say, I do think intermittent fasting helps but then when you stop the intermittent fasting, you've got to not just go back to the way you were. It's a real struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is all about carbs and how you, how you lay down and fat. The other myth as well. And I, I meant to mention that I remember when I was, I was a lot, lot heavier and bad enough at the moment, but when I was a lot, lot heavier and a dietitian in the hospital said to me, don't go on HRT, you'll never lose weight on HRT. The problem with it is that you're starting your HRT, as you said, around the age when you're going to be putting weight on anyway, and your metabolism is slowing. So it's not actually the HRT that's done it. It's the age you are. But if you need, and it, it is about looking at strategies in your exercise program as well. Yeah, no. The, the thighs and the bones. Well, that's, I find, is it's a form nearly of, you're kind of going back to things happened in puberty. So for me in puberty, I had a lot of acne. So I'm finding now that I'm starting to get spots around my jawline, around my neck uh, up there. Yeah. And I know it's my hormones are changing. It's that kind of, uh, the lack of estrogen is just creeping in and just yeah. starting to make changes with your hair. And I find as well, as you were saying with your collagen, you can find your hair can thin a bit more or your skin can get a little bit uh, more i suppose greasier on but it depends i suppose as you said for each woman it's different yeah yeah and you just got to look at the strategies that will work for you um yeah. and obviously i'm not asking anyone to talk about their symptoms and maybe that's the start of perimenopause for you and it can be worth looking at um for for face things like acne it we when we're younger we have something in our body called sex hormone binding globulin and that mops up the testosterone but as you get older you don't have as much sex hormone binding globulin and that's where the pill in hrt actually increase that and it mops up the testosterone again so yeah. it's about deciding how to manage each individual symptom yeah no thanks mary Thanks, Mary. And great you mentioned intermittent fasting and lower lower carbohydrates because that's exactly what we do in this group. Those two things we're always working at. Um, does anybody have another question? Um, yeah, I've got one, Jessica. Um, I just have a question about um, like blood tests, right? So I was actually thinking I probably need to go um, like I have a family history of diabetes and, and high cholesterol and stuff. So I was going to go and get a blood test and I'm just wondering if in that you know for cholesterol or whatever can they also do a blood test on my hormone levels you know at the same time or is that something you no, have to explicitly can. request it i guess i suppose you'd, you'd have to request it but i suppose to be very aware that if they do the follicle stimulating hormone is the one we look at most when we're trying to diagnose menopause um, that can be completely normal, even in people who are symptomatic, because it's one of these peaks and troughs blood tests that could be normal now. And in three hours time, it might be abnormal. So okay. I say, especially to younger women, just because it's normal doesn't mean you're not perimenopausal. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose bear in mind as well, since you mentioned cholesterol, we didn't talk about that much. A lot of cholesterol is actually genetic. So people can be genetically predisposed to having um, high cholesterol. So when we see someone 
uh, I'm not a great fan of the idea of everyone being on statins and I wouldn't take them myself unless I was desperate. Um, remember that about 80% of your, your, um, your cholesterol is actually based on genetics as opposed to what you eat. So you can get people with a completely clean diet who are normal and lean and everything and they still can have you know, a relatively high cholesterol. Um, there's a supplement if it came back abnormal there's a supplement you can get over the counter in um, chemists and health food shops called red yeast rice mm -hmm. so it's not a statin it's a big horrible chalky tablet but we've had some really good successes getting people's cholesterol down with that okay okay good to know thank you thanks mary claire over to you um i have a couple of things that will probably run together if that's all right mary that's okay, yeah. I'm, I appear to be perimenopausal and like you were saying, my hormone levels are normal. I've had to take a lot of steroids on and off over the years, but I know I have to take a permanent dose of five milligrams a, a day. It's part of my immunosuppression okay. regimen. I've had a transplant. So Why am I asking what age you are, Claire? I'm 40. Okay. Um, I started having really bad night sweats March of last year. Um, and it's funny you mentioned about the hair because whatever way I looked in the mirror yesterday more, or the other morning, I was like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> Don't um, remember having an entire line of fuzz down the side of my face. Um, so <laughs> I know I know my, my hematologist and GP um, have both said about topical HRT, but to put in a myelina because I can't have a lot of estrogen because I have a very complicated medical history but then is there any point i suppose is there any point in replacing estrogen if your estrogen levels are normal in fact mine are actually above average what okay right um well i suppose it's about the greater picture the one thing i would say for you if you've been on around steroids and have been on a lot of steroids i'd be thinking about your bones more i had a dexa a couple of weeks ago i do have blood thinning or bone thinning not blood thinning okay so do you mind my asking what kind of transplant you had Sorry? Heart's okay. Um, so I suppose the important thing for you is the vitamin D. I take and that because I... And minding your bones now um, and the exercise and getting enough calcium, vitamin D, they would be really, really important. Um, I'm not sure that I completely understand why they don't think you can have estrogen. Um, Th that's a thing that came from the transplant consultant who's, well, A, he's a man, and B, he doesn't like to talk about that side of the house. Okay. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 it's all part of the same body, Jim, they're all interrelated. But no. Okay. Yeah. Might um, be worth asking to be referred to, um, to a menopause clinic. Okay. Um, what part of the country are you in? I'm in Galway. Galway. Okay. I can't think off the top of my head who yeah. there'd be in Galway. Well, my hematologist um, did yeah, recommend yeah. a particular doctor in the family planning clinic, so I don't know what her... Yeah, there's, a, there's a prescription cream that you can get for facial hair as well called Vanica, um, V-A-N-I-Q-A, but it's a prescription cream. And basically, you put it on where the facial hair is. I would say to people, cleanse in the morning, put a little, it's a horrible old chalky cream, but put it on go and do breakfast or whatever and let it soak in, give it a good half hour to soak in before you start putting on moisturizers and things and do the same thing last thing at night. And how it works is it breaks the enzyme pathway for hair formation. So over a period of time, it will lighten the hair and stop hair growing. The life cycle of, of a hair is about nine months. So it'll, there'll be a little bit of work in that, but nipping it in the bud as well. 
I'm still not, not 100% sure, but maybe there's something I don't know. I would definitely go and get a menopause consult. But as I say, it was the transplant consultant. He's the one that's funny about the oestrogen. But you don't have to go to a menopause consultant either. You could equally go to an endocrinologist. Yeah. Well, like I say, the, the, the hematologist and GP were both happy to go with topical and the uh, myelina rather than the chylina. Um, but Kylene is not licensed no, for it's not no. it's not licensed and the other thing as well is if you're going on HRT at 40 and again you don't have to reveal any person's circumstances we always say that any woman under 50 who's going on HRT needs contraceptive cover as well yeah, for yeah. a period of time so that's where your marina that's would help with that well, yeah. Yeah. Mary thank you so so much um, I would love to get you on again you've just been such a fountain of knowledge and so interesting um, if people want to contact you and your clinic, could you just tell us how they go about doing that? Okay, well, if they want to email any queries on after this, um, my um, PA will probably forward them on to me. It's info at scotiaclinic.ie. Can I give you, because you've all got pens there, yeah. a few good website addresses to look at as well. For, for younger women who've had an earlier menopause, there's a, net, um, a support group in the UK called the DAISY Network. They have a super website. And there's another really, really, really good um, UK website called Menopause Matters, www.menopausematters.co.uk. And that is a fountain of knowledge. And then the North American Menopause Society is um, www.menopause.org. And then it splits into a women's section for women as opposed to healthcare professionals they've brilliant videos up and they're always updating and there are national conferences coming up now soon so there'll be a lot of new stuff up there and i suppose for the pcos stuff um a we put a lot of stuff up on our instagram account this month but there's a pcos support group in the uk called um www.verity-pcos.org.uk that is deadly there's four really good websites brilliant mary thank you so 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 much for taking the time out to talk to us okay have a nice weekend everybody and let's look to mayo for those of you up there <laughs> oh my love thanks so much bye, bye, bye. bye. take care bye